Acts chapter 20. Let's open our Bibles there. And thank God for the examples that we have. Hopefully these guys stay on track, but I tell you what, Tim Tebow, a guy who's waiting uh, until he gets married, a guy who's pure, a guy who loves the Lord, a guy who's energetic. I mean, it's just a cool thing to have examples like him, like Paul, because ultimately they were followers of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to see that in today's study. I, I read a story I don't know if you guys, have you guys heard of that guy, D.L. Moody? You know, one of the greatest evangelists of all time. Well, in 1867, after a voyage to England, he stepped off the ship and he said, I do not expect to visit this country again. And the reason he said that is because when he was sailing in that ship, he was so seasick. And he said, never again. <laughs> but of course, we know his love for the Lord and his love for the people brought him back to that country five more times. See, it, it wasn't easy. We're, we're called to follow the Lord, however, not conveniently, but obediently. And so it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. The only question is, where is God calling you? And we're going to see that clearly demonstrated in the life of Paul the Apostle. As today we're in chapter 20, and we pick it up right in the middle of his third missionary journey. And we begin reading in Acts 20, verse 1. And so it's after the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. Now when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed three months. And when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And so Pater of Berea accompanied him to Asia. Also Aristarchus, the Secundus of the Thessalonians, Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and Tychicus of Trophimus of Asia. These men going ahead waited for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. And so after the uproar, we read that there in verse 1, where we went over that last week, there may have been over 20,000 people uh, shouting uh, for hours, shooting for Paul. You guys remember the story? God protected him, but the reality is the mob would still be after him. And so Paul prayed about it, no doubt, and he sensed that the Spirit was telling him it's time to split, and he departs uh, to Macedonia. We see that there in verse 1. You know, and it's kind of cool. I like what we read there in verse 1. Uh, it says, after the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, and he embraced them and departed to go. And so just in case you're wondering, Paul was a hugger, and we're going to see that more in the chapter today. And so they're traveling, and a lot of you guys, you might know this, but in the back of your Bibles, did you know that there's a, probably a map there with all Paul's missionary journeys? And so when you get a chance, I encourage you to check them out. So they're going from uh, Asia Minor to Greece, modern-day Turkey, and they're going to be traveling. Uh, and so one of the things that's so cool about Paul is that he wasn't afraid to travel. And point number one for today's study is uh, Paul was a follower. Um, and of course, he wasn't a follower of men, but he was a follower of Jesus Christ. He followed the Lord. He was a good follower. So that made him a good leader. And the Lord says, hey, I want you to go here. I want you to go there. I want you to go now from Turkey to Greece and all these different cities. And, 
It's an exciting thing. It's a great adventure to follow the Lord, man. You know, that's really how it all began. You guys read through your Gospels 19 times. Jesus said, follow me, follow me, follow me. That's a simple synopsis of what the Christian life is. And so here's Paul once again following the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, his first missionary journey was 1,500 miles. His second missionary journey was 3,000 miles. Third missionary journey was at least 3,300 miles. As a matter of fact, in Paul's life, uh, they say that he traveled as a missionary over 10,000 miles. Think about that. That was before planes, trains, and automobiles, right? And so you wonder, why did this guy travel so much? Why did he go all over the world? And of course, we know the answer is because he loved the Lord and he loved the church and he loved the lost. For him, it was all about the glory of God and the good of his people. And I was just really blessed by listening to this interview of Tim Tebow. And basically, that's his heart too. Lord, I'm going to play football. I'm play baseball. I'm going to go to this interview here. I'm going to write a book. I mean, his whole life is about following the Lord. And, and so you got to pray. you got to ask God to show you the marching orders. You know, we read here in verse 2 that as he's going, he's encouraging uh, the people uh, with many words. And you know, it's so cool when you get people like that. They encourage you. And like we talked about a couple weeks ago, you know, basically Paul was going, he was sharing God's word, and he was telling them, you can do this. You can live this life. You can live this Christian life. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And he was encouraging them. He was putting courage in them. There's nothing impossible for God. And so, you know, when someone comes with that type of truth, you know, like you got a guy working out and he's there. He's just saying, you can do this. It really helps. That's what Paul was doing. And so as he's going, these are the things that are happening. Now, I thought it would be important to fill you in on something going on. Because on the way to Corinth, um, more than likely what had happened was Paul had sent Titus from Ephesus to Corinth because he heard there were some problems there. Okay, so he set up a plan with him. He said, what I want to do... Uh, Titus says, I want you to go to Corinth, find out what's going on. I want you to meet with me at Troas. So when Paul got to Troas, and we see this in the book of 2 Corinthians, um, Titus wasn't there. He's like, oh no, what happened to the Corinthian church? I mean, here, I'm supposed to meet Titus. He's supposed to give me a, re a report. He's not here. And this is interesting. Paul and Troas had an opportunity to preach the gospel there, but he didn't. Because he was so worried about what was going on in Corinth. And so he continues on. This is during this journey. And he, then he finally meets up with Titus in Macedonia. He gets a good report. And then he writes 2 Corinthians to them. And so you can reference 2 Corinthians 2, 12 and 13. And 2 Corinthians 7, 5 through 7. And you find these details there. So these are all the things that are going on. Uh, as Paul travels to, to Greece and then eventually in Corinth where he stays three months. And from there he would write the book of Romans. Think about that. And again, it's time to move on. And so just to kind of give you an idea of where he's at in his walk, where he's at in his theology, where he's at in his ambitions. Because remember, he said, I want to go to Rome. I mean, he's traveling all over the place. He figured that he'd be tired by now. He's probably about my age, but he's not. You know, he's still going, he's there in Corinth, and he's writing to the, 
to the Romans, and then to, he tells them, and I want to go to Spain. I want the whole wide world to get saved. Nothing's going to stop me. And that was Paul, the follower of Jesus Christ. And so as he's there, he's probably wanting to get to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Passover, but we read in our text that the Jews plotted to kill him. And so just as he's about to sail, notice there again in verse 3, and he stayed three months, and when the Jews plotted against him, as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. He would go by land rather than going by sea. And, and, and what happens is he changes his mind. He decides to travel a different route. Um, many people believe that Paul found out that if he was going to go on the ship, they were going to throw him over, something like that. And so he says, well, I better not. <laughs> I'm going to go by land. And it's so cool um, how Paul just followed the Lord. He didn't freak out. He was flexible. He says, okay, you know, it's all right. And, and that's the way we, we need to be. Of course, God would use that. We eventually, today, we're going to get to the time where he meets up with the pastors. And if it weren't for these guys trying to kill him, we wouldn't have that pastor's meeting later on in Miletus. And so, you know, you're just, man, it's just so cool to follow the Lord. You're like, okay, I'm going here, and then maybe, well, someone's going to kill me. Okay, then I'll go over here. It's all right. You know, it's all part of God's sovereign plan. And that's, and that's Paul. You know, we read here in verses 4 through 6 how the group split up in two. Some of the guys who were representatives of their various cities accompanied Paul. Some went ahead, some lingered a little behind, but they all eventually rendezvoused there at Troas again, which would be modern-day Turkey, as they're all eventually making their way to Jerusalem. And, and you wonder, well, why are all these guys mentioned? You know, this individual from that city and that guy from, you know, Macedonia or Asia or whatever it might be. And the answer is because, as we've mentioned, and you read 1 Corinthians, uh, especially 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and others, you'll see that Paul was collecting an offering. And so he wanted them to take care of that before he got there so that when, when he got there, he, they could all just, you know, take the donation to the Jerusalem saints. You know, when Paul establishes ministry, a, part, a, hard, a huge part of his ministry was there, uh, described in the book of Galatians, they just wanted to make sure that he remembered the poor. And so what I would say to you is we're, you know, kind of breaking is down. We're learning a lot of lessons, but one is, it's kind of cool to see Paul, the follower that made him a good leader. Secondly, is Paul the philanthropist and made him a good helper. He knew there, was a, there were poor saints in Jerusalem and they were poor because they were Christians and because they were persecuted. It wasn't because they didn't want to work, it's just because no one was hiring them and no one was helping them. And they were being persecuted and they were being ostracized. It wasn't their, their fault. They weren't you know, necessarily like someone we might enable who's out there, they don't want to work. No, these are people that wanted to work, but they were going through hard times. And so Paul loved them. A philanthropist is a lover of men, someone who's benevolent. And what he does is he organizes things to help them. I love this Operation Christmas Child thing, the shoebox. I love when we do ministry to the homeless. I love it when we get to go to Cambodia, because when you go to Cambodia and you see some of the poorest villages in the world. Man, you're so blessed 
This is what it's all about. You know, and then that was Paul. He was a follower, so it made him a good leader. He was a philanthropist. It made him a good helper. You know, and, and what, that's what we have to be as well. He was a Bible man, but he was also a benevolent man. You know, maybe you're here today and you have some type of ministry to help uh, the poor. Let us know. We want to be a part of that. I can't spearhead everything, but maybe God will lay something on your heart. We need to be doing this as a church because I think a lot of times we can spend so much money on ourselves and we miss out on what God really blessed us with the finances for. He blessed you so that you can bless others. He didn't bless you financially so you can indulge. He wants us to be philanthropists, right? And so what we find is all these guys are there just giving that accountability, you know, uh, what we find is that, you know, through all these cities, he's collecting an offering. And in order to be blameless and keep accountable financially, they sent guys from each city, which is a really good practice. You want to make sure the money goes to the people they said they were going to give it to, right? A lot of times, you know, it's supposed to, you know, the lottery is supposed to go to the, the kids at the school. Yeah, right, you know. No, I mean, this is financially accountability. And they want to make sure it went to the right people, to the poor, and not some bureaucracy of brothers or to fund the pastor's stretch chariot or anything like that. It's just sickening, isn't it? How we see some of these guys, you know, getting the money and they're asking for money on television and radio and they're so filthy rich. And they're taking money from these widows who have a fixed income. I'm telling you this, God has a hot spot for them in hell one day. We're not supposed to get rich off the people. But unfortunately, man, people have gotten so far off and they give sometimes because they want as well. So we learn, you know, a Paul, the follower, Paul, the philanthropist. And then in, in verse 7 uh, of Acts chapter 20, they, they finally arrive in Troas. And we read, now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Isn't that cool? There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together, and in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down, fell on him and embracing him. There he is again, hugging the guy. Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Now when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till daybreak, he departed. And they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. And so the first thing we see here in this section, verse 7, is that they gather together, notice, on the first day of the week, which would be Sunday. And so you wonder why the first day of the week, more than likely it's because five times in the Bible we read about Jesus rising from the dead on the first day of the week. And so the church gathered together on that day, commemorating, celebrating Jesus' resurrection from the dead. You know, we also, some believe it's because that was the day of Pentecost when the church uh, received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But we read it here. We also read it in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. 
And we see it most importantly in church history as well. And so what ends up happening is Sunday, because of the resurrection, became our Christian version of the Sabbath day. Okay, not out of duty, but out of devotion. Not out of obligation, but out of recognition. The church gathered together on the first day of the week. But it's unfortunate that times have changed. You know, it's good to see you guys here on a Sunday morning. Praise God. So I'm preaching to the choir. But just in case you're here and you don't have that clear conviction, you know, the Bible says this is the Lord's day. And we have to be so careful that we continue to sanctify Sundays. You know, Sundays are now known as fun days, right? The beach, the mall, football, softball. You know, not only do we play, but a lot of times people work when they don't have to on Sundays. You know, there was a time when 90% of the businesses were closed on Sundays. Now it seems to be inverted and 90% are open on Sundays, which is why I like Chick-fil-A and Hobby Lobby. Because these are a couple of companies and others like them, where if you think about it, they could be open on Sundays and they can make a lot of money. They can make a lot of money, but why not? Because they want to honor the Lord on His day. And so I believe God will bless them as a result of that. You know, in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10, John the Beloved called this day the Lord's day. Now, I understand that some people, they can't get out of work and they have family obligations here and there. But I do pray that we would do our best to gather together on Sundays, that we'd never make light of it, that we would always fight for it and we would teach our children the importance of going to church on Sundays. Because I tell you what, if we don't, one day, even that will fade away. You know, these guys, they gathered together on a Sunday. And since Paul and the team were leaving on Monday, Paul's message went long. No doubt he had a lot to say to them. You know, as a matter of fact, we read right here that they were there until midnight. And Paul was still preaching. And one young man was dozing off. Um, you guys ever do that in church? You guys are doing pretty good today. I'm proud of you. <laughs> but you know, um, that happens from time to time. Don't get me wrong. I remember when Calvary Chapel, they, they would have the, the cameras and they always hone in on one of the pastors who would sleep almost every service, man. <laughs> and one of the associate pastors. And so I'm not judging anyone. I know sometimes that happens. Um, it was very late. Uh, it mentions the fact that there were many lamps. And so that did a couple of things. Number one, it kind of took the oxygen out of the room. Number two, it brought fumes to the window, which is where the young man went, you know, trying his hardest to stay awake, but he couldn't and he fell asleep and he fell out the window <laughs> and he died. And you're like, Manny, why are you smiling? The guy died. Well, because he came back to life. And that would have been a fun journey too. Like Paul, you know, he probably saw the third heaven. And, um, you know, Paul is so cool the way that he falls on him. He embraces him, uh, modeling something that I think uh, he got from Elijah and Elisha. They did the same thing, bringing people back to the dead. I mean, back to alive from the dead, which kind of brings us to our third point. Uh, if I could just say this to you, because it's true, Paul the, the follower, it, it made him a good leader. Paul the philanthropist, it made him a good helper. And Paul the physician, it made him a healer. Now, of course, the, 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 the healing power wasn't his, but he was a vessel. 
He was a vessel. And, you know, for us as a church, we get a lot of prayer requests for people who are physically ill. And sometimes uh, that happens. We pray for someone and we attribute it to answered prayer where they get physically well. Other times, you know, we get to, like we did in Nepal, it was so cool, the love of the physicians and the nurses that went and, you know, they, God used them, their love to heal people physically. But more than anything else, I think for us is the healing of the heart. And, that, and that's something that Paul did. That's something that we all can do as we share God's love, as we share the word, as we share the gospel Man, lives that are, that are dead or on their way to hell, lives that are ravaged and torn apart, hearts that are just broken, we get to use by God to bring healing to their hearts. And to me, and we're going to see it more in, in this chapter, it's a beautiful thing, you guys. It's not just pastors, it's all of us, because we're equipped with the Holy Spirit, with God's love and God's word and truth. And so we learn these things from Paul, the follower, Paul, the philanthropist, Paul, the physician. You know, the guy dies, but Paul goes and he, and he hugs him, he heals him. And then the next thing you know, um, they probably leave him down there with a couple of people. They go back up to the room where they're having communion. They're breaking bread together. They're still talking all night long until the sun rises and then they bring in the young man. It's, that's kind of cool, too. It says right there, they bring in the young man, and everyone's blessed um, because he's alive, but maybe even blessed that the guy came back. I mean, man, the, the dude just died. You probably figure he'd go home, you know? But no, it, it's kind of like that's how Paul was. When he died, he just got back up and went back to work. It's so cool to see, you know, the things going on. You know, just a little side note here uh, on sleeping during sermons. <laughs> Warren Wiersbe said this, perhaps each of us should ask ourselves, what really keeps me awake? Christians who slumber during one hour in church somehow manage to stay awake during early morning fishing trips, lengthy sporting events and concerts, or late night television worship to make sure we're at our best. Remember, said Spurgeon, if we go to sleep during the sermon and die, there are no apostles there to restore us. <laughs> and so I'll just say this, that it's not a given, okay? <laughs> and so we continue uh, in verse 13. Then we went ahead to the sh ship and sailed to Assos, and there intending to take Paul on board. For so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene, and we sailed from there. The next day came opposite Chios. The following day we arrived at Samos and stayed at Tregilium. The next day we came to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to hurry, have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. And so what we find right here, when you look at a map, it's interesting You'll notice that some of the guys, they went like this way. They went around. Uh, they sailed probably a day. Paul just walked directly straight. It was probably about 20 miles a walk. And, uh, and then they would pick him up there. They probably had cargo on the ship. And uh, I'm not sure why Paul walked. Um, some say maybe it was to continue to encourage the people that he came across along the way. 
Warren Wiersbe said he did it for exercise. So a little the Lord knows. But just as a side note, it's interesting how Luke mentions all these cities, nine different locations. And historians will tell you that the book of Acts is the most accurate geographical writing from this area. And so Paul here, he, he's planning to be in Jerusalem by the Feast of Pentecost. But if he were to go to Ephesus, you know how it is. All his friends were there. It would take too long. He wouldn't make it in time. So he arrives in Miletus, and it's about 30 miles away, and he calls for the Ephesian elders to come and meet him. And so I was reading John Corson's commentary on this, and he said that a lot of times pastors will come to him and say, hey, can you take us to a pastor's conference? And sometimes he's able to do that. But he said, but man, this right here, the remainder of this chapter, is probably the best pastor's conference in the history of the world. And so we read in Acts chapter 20, in verse 17, it says, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're not going to be able to do the whole chapter, but we will break down this section and probably next week, Lord willing, we'll come back and we'll even get a little deeper but it's a beautiful section of scripture in which Paul calls for the elders, which is another name for pastors. They were called elders because usually they were older. Not always. Most important thing is that they're spiritually mature. But, but more importantly, they're called elders because they're called by God to be pastors, which means they were called to be leaders in the church. But remember, you guys, if you're a leader in the church, you're called to be a servant leader in the church, not a shoving leader, but a loving leader. And so Paul here, he loves the Lord and he loves the people, so he wants to speak to the heart of the leaders and he wants to remind them of what the ministry is all about. And you might wonder, well, I want to be a pastor, I want to be a leader, I want to be involved in ministry, you know, because you think it'd be fun or whatever. And and understand, you know, there is that part of it, man. It's such a blessing. You laugh, but you also cry. There's a lot of tears. Because you care about people. And so many people go through hard times. So many people struggle, and you struggle with them. You weep with those who weep. You rejoice with those who rejoice. And the enemy, you got a bullseye on yourself when you're a leader. You know, if I can smite the shepherd, I can scatter the sheep. So he here, he reminds them, hey, you guys, I'm going to be leaving. I'm not going to be coming back. I'm entrusting this church to you. And I want you to know what the ministry is made of. It's made of tears. It's made of trials. It's made of teachings. You know, they knew that that was Paul's ministry. He says, you guys know uh, that I lived the life, I served the Lord with humility. You know, and that's so important for us as leaders to make sure that we 
do that in that way. That's how our Lord was as well. Uh, I am humility, but knowing my responsibility. He said, I held back nothing. I taught you the full counsel of God. I did it publicly. I did it privately. Uh, we're going to see later as we go through our text today how Paul says, my hands are clean because I taught you the Bible. I taught you the full counsel of God. Notice there, if you look again at verse 21, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Now in the Greek language, there's only one article, and so repentance and faith, they actually go hand in hand. And that's how an individual is saved. You repent of your unbelief, and you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Not a religion, it's a relationship. You know, where you believe, not just in your head, but in your heart. It can't just be you saying, well, my parents are Christian, so I'm good. No. I remember one guy, he thought he was good because not only were his parents Christians, but his uncle was a priest, and he had another uncle that was a pastor, and he said, I'm good. No, you have to make that decision for yourself. You've got two choices, heaven or hell. And, and what, what Paul is saying is, I, I was not holding back. I shared the message. Remember, when he was in Corinth, he wrote to the Romans, and remember what he wrote to the Romans? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For in that gospel... There is power, power unto salvation. You can be here today and you might not know the Lord and you're messed up, man. You're on drugs. You can't stop. You're involved in porn. You're, you know, you're lost. You have a hole in your heart that you can't fill with anything that this world has to offer. You got these guys, they're famous, they're riches. They, they got everything that the world has to give, but they take their own life because that will never fill the void. The only thing that could fill the void is the true love of God. And the day that you repent of your unbelief and you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who died on a cross and rose again is the day that you have life. You know, Tim Tebow, he, this is the day. That, that was his book, this is the day. And you might be here and you might say, well, yeah, I kind of want that, but not today. Why not? You might not have tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to give your life to Christ. Paul said, you know that's how I live. That's what I preached. It wasn't fancy. It wasn't sophisticated. It was simple. Repent of your unbelief and put your faith in Jesus Christ. You know, and that's what he wants them to do. He's sharing with them. This was, you guys know my, my past. And, and then he kind of takes a look into the, the future as we close in verse 22, he says, and, and see now, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem. You know, it's kind of like Jesus who set his face like flint to Jerusalem. I, I'm going no matter what. Not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. You know, Paul ponders the past, and maybe you're here, and if you were to look back, you would say it hasn't been easy. And so now you're looking forward, and you're, you're thinking, well, now it's going to be easy. Well, no, it's not. <laughs> 
It, it hasn't been easy and it's probably not going to be easier. That's basically what Paul is saying, right? I mean, in all these cities where he's journeying, he gets a word from the Holy Spirit who no doubt is speaking through the people. Paul, when you go to Jerusalem, you're facing chains and tribulations. You're, you're going to go from the frying pan into the fire. You're not going to get rest. You're going to get arrested when you go. And so, you know, most people, if they, you know, chains and tribulations, troubles and toils and hardships and persecution and opposition and pain and all that kind of stuff, most people would, you know, go the other way. But Paul says, no, I'm bound in the spirit. I'm going to follow the Lord. And that's what we have to do. I'm not saying that we do this foolishly or flippantly, but you have to follow the Lord. And all the enemy was trying to do was to stop this man, stop this man from faithfully teaching the word and sharing the gospel. But that was his call. What's yours? I don't know what your call is. It's not the same. We all have different callings in life. But you have to discover what that call is and you have to answer it And the devil will do everything he can to stop you from answering that call. You know, when we go through the scriptures, we see Paul faithfully following the Lord, even though it brought fierce opposition, and even though he would end up in prison. You know, some of you have heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a German theologian, brilliant theologian, but the unique thing about him is that he was also a wonderful pastor. And that's sometimes hard to find that combination. But he was a pastor during World War II. Uh, Even prior to the time of Hitler, he was already preaching against what this man was teaching. And uh, and so he had opportunities to to minister in London and to, to minister in New York. He came to New York. He learned the things that he wanted to learn there. But he knew he had to go back to Germany because that was his calling. He, to him, he said, how can I minister after the war if I'm not willing to minister in the war? And so he went back to Germany and he was arrested and, uh, because he preached against Nazism. And so uh, Hitler had him arrested. And one day he's sitting there in prison and, and one of the, the other pastors came to visit him. And the other pastor said, what are you doing in there, Dietrich Bonhoeffer? What are you doing in prison? And Bonhoeffer said, what are you doing out there? (laughs) Why aren't you being persecuted? Why? Because they were cowards and they were compromisers. And that can't be us. Right here, Paul models that. And he says, you know, uh, this is Paul. He, He was a follower that made him a good leader. He was a philanthropist that made him a good helper. He was a physician that made him a healer. And then he was a finisher right? I mean, he was fearless, and that made him a good finisher. And that's where we need to be as well. The enemy was trying so hard to reroute him, just like he will try so hard to reroute us. But Paul was bound in the spirit, and we should be as well. He didn't care what they thought of him, what they said of him, what they did to him. He wasn't afraid of the pain. He wasn't afraid to die. How can you stop a man like that? You can't. You know, he knew the message wasn't, you know, popular, but he also knew the message was powerful. 
He knew that he'd be hated and hunted and persecuted and imprisoned. But that's okay because all of it was so that God would be glorified and the people would be set free. And that's why we all have to do what God has called us to do in the body of Christ. You know, how many books have you started that you haven't finished? 37, right? <laughs> how many projects at home that you started that you haven't finished? Not to get any guys uncomfortable, I'm just saying. I'm guilty of it as well. There's a lot of things that we start that we don't finish. But in life, God help us to finish our race with joy. And that's what Paul did. That's what pastors need to do. That's what people need to do. You know, in Deuteronomy chapter 20, there's an interesting account there in which when all the soldiers would go out to war, there would be a guy who would go out in front, and he would kind of t talk to everybody, and he'd say, okay, is there anybody here who... Uh, who, uh, who, who built a house and you haven't yet enjoyed it or dedicated it? Is there anyone here who planted a vineyard and, and you haven't eaten of its grapes yet? You know, you, you built the house, you haven't dedicated it, okay, go ahead and go. You, you planted a vineyard and you haven't yet, you know, gotten any grapes, okay, go ahead and go. Or, or maybe you're here today and you, um, you have a, a wife betrothed to you and you haven't yet got married, you know what, go ahead and go. You know, if you're here, it's interesting. You read Deuteronomy 20. He says, and he tells them not to be afraid in the beginning of the chapter, but then at the end of the chapter, he says, and if you're here and you're afraid, go ahead and go. Go ahead and go. And so a lot of people, they read that chapter and they think, well, Paul here is teaching that if you got a house or if you got a vineyard or if you got a wife or if you're afraid, you know, this is a way out. When in all reality... What it is is a test. It's a test. If the enemy can talk you out of it, uh, that to answer that call, then you're probably not worthy. You're not going to make it. And when the enemy will come, we're going to get tested. I'm not saying we neglect our house or our vineyard or, or our, our wives, but you know what? We have to be careful that none of that becomes an idol to the answer of the call upon our life. And so what Paul is saying right here is none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry that I receive from the Lord to testify of this gospel of grace. And so I pray, you guys, we would learn from Paul. The follower made him a leader, Paul. The philanthropist made him a helper. Paul, the physician, it made him a healer. And then Paul, the fearless, and then made him a finisher. Because when we finish the work that God has called us to, then God will do a work in us and through us because Jesus has finished his work. Huh? When he died on the cross, do you guys remember what he said? It is finished. And that is so cool. Because what that means is all you got to do is put your faith in Jesus Christ and you're forgiven. Because he did the that sounds like a great deal to me, man. I guess that's why they call it good news.